Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with uh, Alan Shearer, Micah Richards and me, Gary Lineker. Uh, we'll be hearing from Alan a little later in the show. He's away at the moment, uh, so can't join us for the full recording, but he was unsurprisingly desperate to make sure he could discuss the mighty tune and the plight of Manchester United. Micah is here with me now, though. Uh, it's Sunday evening and he's hot-footed it straight back from working at the Etihad uh, to join us. Uh, not a bad game, was it? Wow, what a game. Good evening, Gary. It was just one of those games where you're thinking, at halftime, there's going to be more goals in the second half. I don't know who they're going to go to. I thought Man City probably, Haaland, after his misses, you're thinking, he's, he's got to be on the score sheet. But fair play to Spurs for just just sticking at it. There's, there's so many times, especially over the last three games with Spurs, they've sort of done the right things and not had the sort of results to back it up but they certainly deserved a draw in that game for their efforts but the atmosphere was brilliant the Spurs fans didn't stop singing and it was just an all-round good Super Sunday. Yeah I absolutely agree with Spurs I mean he said before the game, didn't he? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to play my way. We're going to go for it, despite our injuries. Obviously, having lost their two central defenders for this one, I mean, it was a big ask for Spurs, and I, I kind of feared the worst, to be perfectly honest. And um, during the commentary, and I think a little bit at half time, there was discussion amongst you guys, and who obviously, you know, terrific pundits. I, I generally agree with them, but there was. There was an element of, you know, does there come a point where they're being a bit naive here, Tottenham, playing this way? But I like his philosophy. I admire it. I think we are in an industry where it's entertainment and that's what you want. And I'm sort of a little bit bored with teams just going to Manchester City, sitting back, defending, 10 men behind the ball and then losing 2-0. Um, and I think, I, I just think it's, it's refreshing um, to have that approach, even when you've you've got the amount of injuries that that Spurs had, and I think you know it makes for really really entertaining good football, and that's what we want. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. The only time I would probably say they have been naive is against Chelsea when yes. they had a few injuries and they had a couple of men sent off. I, I just think 
you can all play the high line, but there's got to be something connected to that. You play a high line to win the ball high to create an opportunity. But in that game against Chelsea, it just felt a little bit naive. The reason why I said naive before the game today is because Haaland and his strengths, when he was at Dortmund, what he'd like to do is running behind. He didn't have that many opportunities to do, to do so. But I just thought Spurs as a group, even though they made so many mistakes on the ball trying to play out, I agree with the guy watching them and having a way of playing and an attacking style of play. I think it just really suits them. And like you said, it is enjoyable and entertaining. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of the football, obviously Manchester City, we know what they are. Um, they're, they're, they're so good. Um, they had lots of chances. They they, they could have put it to bed. Um, Erling Haaland added, well, a kind of profligate day in front of goal, that's for sure. He missed um, a couple of, of sitters, but, you know, he keeps getting in there and that's why he scores the goals. And all strikers will tell you, you've got, you know, to score a lot of goals, you have to miss chances as well. It's it's about getting in there and keep going. You know it won't affect his confidence in the long run. I suppose he also had two assists, although, you know, the first one's debatable whether <laughs> you could genius. call it call it an assist. But um, and um, but yeah, I mean it was it was end to end. It was entertaining, and I I, I actually really really enjoyed w- watching it. And I was so pleased for Spurs. Obviously, as a, a former Spurs man, that, um, that they got that equaliser at the end. You probably less so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I it, like you said, it was it was a it was a great game of football. I think tactically watching. So you know when you, you're at a game and you seeing the way Spurs want to, to build up, it was always gonna be difficult with Emerson Royale playing as a mm. centre half along with Davis. And I thought Davis did really well on the ball. But if you looked and see the analysis, Man City was actually letting Emerson Royale have the ball. And then as soon as he got the ball, they would pounce at it. And yes, on another day, it could have been six or seven for Man City. But what I liked about Spurs is they kept playing. They kept doing the things that they're good at. They he mentioned at halftime they give the they had a little bit of a, a rollicking, but that's expected. But the belief, you know, when a team after the results that they had against a, a Villa, a, a Chelsea, um, you're thinking, can we buy into what the manager's really telling us? Is it going to work? But they're stuck at the task, and it paid dividend at the end. That's what I liked the most about Spurs' performance today? Yeah, I think, will it work? I think it has been working and it, it was just a question of whether it would work when you've got the injury list that, that they've got. Particularly, it's hard, isn't it, when you, you both your central defenders have been outstanding this season uh, go missing. But we, I suppose we have to talk about the decision in the final oh. uh, minute or so. Um, I think the referee had a, a kind of little bit of a panic because he didn't immediately you know, give the foul. He sort of went, it was like, he let it play on as which was the right thing to do. And then after the ball went and Grealish was about to go through, he, he blew his whistle. So I, it's hard to fathom what, what went through his head, but you could tell by his face that he knew, he knew he'd, he'd, he'd messed up. And we all do that from time to time. But Yeah, we, we don't like to go too tough on, on referees. I know we spoke over this season about VAR and at times it's not been good enough. And if you actually see the incident in slow motion, he does everything right. He, he puts the whistle to his mouth like he's going to blow. And then he says, nope, 
play on. And then something, like you said, in his head must have just gone and, and panicked and blowed the whistle. But what I couldn't understand is normally with, with VR and the way he can bring things back, he's just, he might as well have just let it play out, you know? And if he's made a mistake, he can always go back to it. So that's what I didn't quite understand. I wonder, Mike, I just think maybe in, in the split second of thought as the ball went through, that in his head, it was... It was he got the shirt colours mixed up, and he thought the defender was going back. Uh, he thought it was Grealish rather than the other way around. That's that's the only I think explanation that kind of possibly makes sense, but only he will know. Um, I just wonder because I you, you do that in game, you suddenly go, who's attacking? Oh, and then he's oh no, it's them. It's the wrong one. I don't know. It's it's a, it's a difficult one. I I just think for to have that moment in the dying seconds of the game after mm. he'd been outstanding. And yes, we need to give the, the, the refs the credit. He'd been outstanding all game. He'd let the, the game flow, the right decisions, but just at the pivotal moment to give that, that's all going to be in the, in the headlines tomorrow. So yes, he's made a mistake, but it was just a bad one at the vital moment. Uh, first goal of the season for Jack Grealish, um, surprisingly, but he's kind of been edged out a little bit of late by Doku and he's had his injuries, of course, this season. So, um, I mean, Doku's a handful, that's for sure. Um, but that goal will do, do Jack a lot of good, his confidence. Uh, brilliant slide at the camera. It was, <laughs> it was, it was brilliant. And I, and I want that, before I go on with, with my answer, what, what, what do you think of of Jack Grealish. We know you think he's a, a, as a top player guy, but what can he do more? Because people hear a lot from me and it's always mm. a little bit difficult for me because I'm I'm one of his best friends. So I almost speak from the heart a little bit, but of course. Put, put that, uh, you know, to the side a minute. What does he need to do, apart from goals and assists, what does he need to do in his game to go to that next level where people stop questioning his 100 million price tag? Well, you have to forget about the price tag. Um, you're only you know, you're worth what someone's prepared to pay for you. Um, and overall, I mean, he's he's terrific. He keeps the ball uh, under certain circumstances. He's the perfect player to have, particularly if you've got a lead. Probably going into the the last ten fifteen minutes, he can keep the ball. He wins free kicks. He does all that. Um, he makes I think a lot of the right decisions. He very rarely gives the ball away. I think possibly the only thing missing in his game that stops it elevating him to the you know the very very pinnacle is a slight lack of pace I think sometimes he beats players and then he, he can't necessarily get away from them um, I think I think he you know he performs brilliantly I think it's you know, when he was at Aston Villa, obviously, they very much counter-attack inside and that, you know, that suited him. He had a bit more space. But when you've got, you know, 10 men behind the ball plus a goalkeeper, and, you know, you've got full-backs and wingers doubling up on you, it's it's really difficult um, unless you've got that burst of pace like Doku's got. But Jack's got different strengths um, and I think he's, you know, he's an integral part of, of Manchester City's squad. Um, but I just think it's, just that little tiny burst of pace. And obviously that's not something, that's not something you can, you can change. But, I, you know, his decision-making, his crossing, um, the way he maintains the ball under, you know, a lot of pressure. I mean, he wins a lot of free kicks. Um, and, you know, people sometimes say, well, all he does is win free kicks. But, you know, that's part of your job as a, as a, as a forward. You know, winning fouls in, in, in dangerous situations and getting a lot of uh, free kicks. So... 
I don't think there's a lot wrong with Jack's game. There's there's nothing wrong with Jack's game. Um, I think like all players, he'll have little bursts of confidence and and form. Um, but you know, he's a terrific player. And the thing is, that at, at City, there's a lot of other terrific players as well. And it'll have the same issue with with England, of course, because you know it'd be up against other players of of, of incredible talent. So. No, I, I really love watching Jack Grealish play. I love the way he keeps the ball and, and, and goes at people. And I just say, well, just keep doing the things that you're doing. And, you know, you find a bit of form and a bit of confidence and, and away you go. I would agree. I would, I would, I would agree with that. I, I, I saw you actually uh, uh, tuned in early today because you had a long stint, didn't you? you had a, long stint. <laughs> a lovely long stint. Yeah. In fact, so long, you, you, you got a magician in. I saw Dynamo was there. <laughs> yeah. Did and you he, see that dynamo? It was incredible. Turned wow. fire into ice. He's amazing, isn't he? Unbelievable. Yeah. And he's been going for a while, hasn't he? And the last couple of years, I've not really heard too much of him. And they said, oh, Dynamo wants to do something before uh, Super Sunday. And I was like, wow, what's he going to do? And they said he's going to turn fire into ice. And I'm just like, I'm a skeptic, you know? I mean, come on. I'm like, how, how is he possibly going to do that? And there's so many cameras and I'm looking underneath his hands and seeing what he's <laughs> wearing and all that. And then Jamie Carragher's got a bit of a light. He puts like some, a piece of paper on the light, asks me to like put my hands out. And then he turns into a big block of ice. I was like... It was incredible. <laughs> wow, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't he is incredible. It. I had I had dinner with him. Oh, it must have been about eight nine years ago with a, a few friends. My, my my friend Jonathan Downey, Giles Corrin, and and Richard Bacon. I think it was a night out, and he joined Ooh. us. Oh, what a night of entertainment! He did uh, like trick after trick. He had his cards on him, and it, it and he's it's just mesmerising, isn't it? What a talent, what a skill. What a skill. What a skill. Like, yeah. But do you believe in it though, or do you just think it's a bit... I what mean, it's an illusion, it? isn't it? It's well, an illusion. Uh, yes, Micah. Of course. I don't I mean, think like, it's actually really yeah, magic. How does it, oh, well. <laughs> well, exactly how. I mean, how? <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, I don't know. If you had to, I wonder if you'd be a footballer and do, you know... <laughs> <laughs> suddenly move the ball from one end of the pitch to the other. <laughs> that sort of thing. Oh, brilliant. Uh, right then, before we get on to the rest of the weekend's action, I did have a quick catch up with Alan earlier today while Micah was um, busy working uh, to discuss the Newcastle versus Manchester United match. You won't be surprised to hear that he was in pretty good spirits about it all. Here is our roving reporter, Alan. Um, special weekend, isn't it? What a weekend it's been, Gaz. It's been amazing, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm presuming you're talking about Newcastle. I was actually talking about your daughter's <laughs> birthday little trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just popped away to come and, uh, come and see my daughter for her birthday. Um, yeah, for a minute, I thought the football was more important than I was that excited. You're getting the doghouse there. Just be careful, Alan. <laughs> I will, yeah. No, away for my, uh, for my daughter's birthday. So um, just away for a couple of days and then uh, and then back in on, uh, on Tuesday. So, yeah, we'll Good. Well, let, well, let's start with um, Newcastle, Alan, because it was—I mean, it was a terrific performance. It, um, it, for us neutrals, but you were—I must say—very excited in the office yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I was slightly, slightly concerned again with all the injuries that Newcastle had, and I think, oh, can they go out and perform again after being magnificent and robbed like they were in uh, in Paris to come back from that huge disappointment? I was thinking, oh, can they step up again? And, but. 
I mean, the energy mm-hmm. uh, and the attitude and everything else that they showed from the very first minute, they put Manchester United under huge pressure. They went after them and Man United just couldn't handle it. And I just, I, th- I really thought from the very first minute to the last minute that they were a better team. They were the one that were on the front foot. They were the one that were looking to win. They were the ones that were winning every single second ball, every single tackle. And I thought they were just, to a, to a man, I thought they were absolutely magnificent. I totally concur with that, um, Alan. And and as you pointed out in your analysis last night, um, for those that um, perhaps didn't see it, that um, you focused on the two wide areas and uh, Mm. where Newcastle were incredibly strong, particularly with the two fullbacks, I think, with Livermento um, and, of course, Trippier. But you also highlighted the the lack of, well, you could even say effort um, in trying Mm. to get back from the two wide players from Manchester United, Garnacho and Rashford. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a huge problem for Manchester United. I mean, time and time again, both fullbacks for Manchester United um, were isolated. They were left two v one so many times because of the reluctance, because of the lack of effort from Garnacho, from Rashford, um, from others in the midfield who didn't really want to run a, uh, around and. Um, yeah, Newcastle battered them in, in those positions. I mean, how many times did they get to the uh, to the touchline and try and cross balls or pull balls back and two v one in that uh, in that situation? And that that was a huge problem area for uh, for Manchester United. Yeah, Tino Livermento is is a young player that he was very impressive on the, the occasion. To saw him at Southampton, then he got quite yeah. a bad injury, didn't he? Yeah, but he looked, yeah, crucial exactly. Uh, something you know all about. He's um. Mm. Looks a very, very talented young player, incredibly quick, powerful, um, great engine up and down the line there, Alan. I think he's one, he's de- well, he is. He's one of those players that is, um, what, he's 21, isn't he? Um, mm. And he's available to play for England, for Scotland, I believe, and Portugal as well, isn't it? Apparently so. I read that, yeah. So, yeah. I, th- I mean... I think Gareth Southgate needs to get on the phone to him. I know there's no games he can play in for a little while, but you would, wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, he plays on both sides as well. I mean, I know right back. We're very well. You know, we've we've got lots of really great right backs, and um, Luke Shaw's obviously a very good left back, but um, definitely a player for the future. Yeah, I mean, he's played he's played for England at almost every uh, level uh, up to now, and he's I don't know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeens, eighteens, nineteens, twenty ones, whatever. So um, I would really hope that um, that someone has already, and if they haven't, then they should <laughs> rather quickly get on the phone to him and tell him that he's got a big future in 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 the England squad, whether that's at right back or whether that's at left-back, because I'm sure Newcastle bought him. I mean, they spent, I don't know, about 30 million quid it was from from him, and he did have a serious injury, but there's always been that thing around him where he's got huge potential and he's a very good player. But I, I didn't I didn't realise how good a player he was until I actually saw him at Newcastle in the Newcastle shirt. And when you consider some of the games, the big games that he's played in already this season, whether that's been at right back or whether it was like it was yesterday at left back, he's been absolutely sensational. And yeah, absolutely that he he needs to have a call from someone to say, you're going to be a big part of our squad going forward in the future. Got another player in midfield who's four years younger than Tino Livermento. Yeah. 
Yeah. What a performance from him as well, Lewis Miley. Looks so confident, so comfortable. Yeah. Uh, just his pressing. I was incredibly impressed with his stamina mm. throughout the game. And he kept going, didn't he? What a performance. 17-year-old. I mean, the last seven days for him, he's had, what's he had? Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League, and then up against Manchester United yesterday at St. James's Park. I mean, he must he must think he's in dreamland. And I mean, he just, he, he just looks naturally, looked very comfortable. He didn't. I mean, other than looking at his baby looks, if you, if you didn't know who he was or what he was, you'd think he'd been around for years, the way he was strutting around the pitch and closing down and the, um, the, the balance he had on the, uh, on the ball. So he's a, it, I thought it was another huge performance from, uh, from him. And again, the future looks great for him. So only good news for the academy and for Newcastle. He must be thinking this men's football's quite easy. Should have <laughs> should have won all three of those games as well. Obviously, if they hadn't got that dubious, yeah. like more than dubious decision um, in Paris. Yeah. I mean, when you when you look at as I said, he was up against Bruno Fernandes in that uh, in that midfield yesterday, and I mean, he just he looked a natural. He looked really comfortable. Looked happy. Um, worked his socks off like you have to do in Eddie Howe's teams. Um, I want to talk about Eddie Howe, Alan, because. Um, I mean, a remarkable job he's done, particularly when you, you take into account the injuries that Newcastle have got at present. I know they've still got a good 11 out, and mm. but, you know, the bench was the bench was a lot of youngsters, wasn't it? Um, mm. Now Nick Pope's gone and done his shoulder, which that's a serious concern because, you know, dislocated shoulder for, for any player is not great, but for a goalkeeper, and, and he's done it before, hasn't he, that yeah. Eddie, Eddie pointed out after the game. But um, what a job he's done. Um, and is doing phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. When you look at the money that's been spent, and it, and all that other clubs from will turn on and say, "Oh, hang on a minute, all the money you've spent." But when you when you compare it to, I don't know, the other big six, if you like, who want to be up there and want to stay there and have spent gazillions for a number of years now, and Newcastle have done it in a in a different way. But I think what what he what he's done is and improved every single player at the football club, whether that's a new player coming in or whether that's a player that has already been there. Well, look at Joel Linton and Al Miron. I mean, yeah. in particular, yeah. those two have, have, yeah. have massively improved and, you know, one or two of the defenders at the back as well with, with Shah and Lascelles and, and people. And he, he looks as if he's got a brilliant team spirit there, you know? It's like, yeah, it is as if they're all together, they're, they're all united. Um, and... I just think it's he's pulled everyone to the whole football club was in bits, as we know. So for him to pull the whole football club, including the fans, and the now all together and and going in the same direction, um, and he's got he's got a big squad of players that just want to work hard, and you can tell they they're enjoying playing for him and for Newcastle, and that's all the fans can ask for. Yeah, Newcastle United look very united. Manchester United yeah. uh, look absolutely opposite, don't they? I mean, they're a bit all over the place at, at the moment, Alan. I said, didn't I, a couple of weeks ago, I didn't know what to expect because at the minute I think it's a basket case of a football club. I mean, the, with the ownership, uh, who's going to take over, how much they're going to take over, when it's going to happen. I mean, it's just a mess. And, and we did eventually, we did say that what happens at the top will eventually filter down. And I know prior to yesterday... That they'd had a decent run in the uh, run in the league, not so much in the uh, in the Champions League. But we also did say that they hadn't really played any uh, any top any one of the top teams. And I, I I mean I thought they were a mess yesterday. I thought they were terrible. I thought their attitude was awful, and I thought it highlighted some of the really bad attitudes that you that they they have clearly have because it's all right 
you know, when things are going well for you and you can get your foot on the ball and play around and everything else and you're scoring goals. And But when it's tough and when it's hard, you see the players who want to fight for you. You see the players who want to support you as a manager and as a fan. And I thought there was three or four yesterday that were not prepared to roll their sleeves up and gave up far too easily and didn't want to fight. Where does the, the main problem lie is it is it the manager because he can't get the best out of the players is it is it the players because they've lost their way is it because of the 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 top of the club is is in a bit of a pickle will that change and how do they I mean obviously they've got new people we think coming in to a degree but it's it's hard to see really a, a kind of a massive improvement in the near future isn't it no, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. I think it's a it's a long term job. It's been a long term job already. They've been they've, they haven't been where they want to be for a number of years now. And eventually, what happens, as we said, comes down onto the pitch, and that's been there for a while. I mean, the money that they've spent, some of the players that they've spent money on. I know Anthony and Sancho, and oh, I mean, when you when you look at Rashford's performance yesterday, it looked as if he didn't want to be there at all. Um, when he got dragged off, you could see his reaction. Garnacho was really struggling. I know he scored a wonder goal last week, but you spent. 60 or 70 on Sancho, you spend 80 on Anthony and they can't get in the team for whatever reason. I mean, that that sort of sums it up at Manchester United for me. I think it's going to be a tough season for them. No question about that. And I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they, it, you know, if, if they do come in and they're talking about Ratcliffe and, you know, they're looking at um, Brailsford uh, as well, taking over. Mm. But, you know, there's, there's no guarantee that they know any better about you know they're not football people um so um but something needs to be done and it doesn't look like there's 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 any quick fix but yeah the club's in a mess um and you, and you also you you know they've gone through a number of of managers in in recent times and and normally when when people are above you they need someone to blame and it's often the manager that gets the heave ho it's a tough one for them normally when new ownership comes in a lot of the time that means a new manager whether that's after a week or three or four weeks it, it normally means yeah a change is is there you can't keep doing that can you <laughs> well they have well true they have and look 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 where they look where they are now so um whether they'll do that again remains to be seen but clearly there's you, you don't have to be a genius to work it out clearly there's a there's an issue in that dressing room you can see that you can see the you know when the arms go up when it's not my fault or you players try to send a reaction to uh, to their own fans to say this is not my fault and as soon as that happens you just know there's an issue in the dressing room and that happened too many times yesterday yeah um before i let you go to celebrate your your daughter's birthday um england draw uh, scotland as mm. well were in the draw for the european championship yesterday and and well you did a little bit actually you're in the studio yeah. for a while weren't you so um i mean a, a really good draw i think for england in terms of getting through and an exciting draw for scotland yeah i think it was um i think it was a really positive draw for england i think they'll be without doubt one of if not the favorites for the tournament them and france and i think it's now or never for england isn't it i think the with a success that I don't know. I say that in a cautious way, success. But what he's done, Gareth, from where England were to where he's got them, I mean, in semi-finals and finals, etc. So I think now's their time with the players they have. They've got some world-class players now. Um, and I've said it before, from midfield going forwards, front six, I think we've got the best in world football. So when you've got that, you've got to go out and perform and win. And I think this should be England's time now next summer. Yeah, I think if you keep 
knocking on the door. Um, you just hope eventually it will open. And I mean, they are hard to win big tournaments. We know that. There's a lot of other, you know, terrific sides in there. But um, it's nice that uh, to be in a position where England are are so competitive. Uh, I just want to finish, Alan, with just did you did you catch the draw for the um, which just took place earlier? Sunderland versus Newcastle. It's been a while oh. since one of those. I've already sent a text message off asking for tickets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a draw. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Arsenal, Liverpool yeah. and Sunderland, Newcastle. Whoa, amazing. Yeah, can't wait. Something to look forward to. We'll be doing one of those games. I'm not quite sure which one yet because obviously we kind of alternate with picks on ITV. And I've, they... been on, I've already been on to the top guys, Gary. I thought you were... We know Arsenal <laughs> and Liverpool are going to play reserve sides. We might as well do the Sunderland, Newcastle where it, we know that no one can afford to be beaten and won't put reserve sides out. No, I've told them we should do Arsenal Liverpool because it's very cold up north. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. We don't want that. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. No, don't worry. Uh, don't worry. Right. Um, thanks for, for, for joining us uh, all bit briefly and um, have a great day and say a uh, very happy birthday from um, us to Holly. Will do. Will do. Thanks, guys. Brilliant. Cheers. Cheers out. Time for us to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll be with Micah again, uh, looking at all the other key talking points from the weekend. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker and Micah Richards. We've heard from Alan and um, he's now celebrating his daughter's birthday. We'll be celebrating um, some terrific football today. Uh, lots of goals scored, including um, late drama at Anfield, wasn't there? Two late goals to to beat Fulham. Um, I don't know whether you, you, you caught that match, um, even though you were working, but I, it's one of those days, it's quite frustrating, isn't it? When you, um, on the days when there's five games and you can only watch two of them, but I have subsequently seen the highlights. Liverpool's four goals. Oh, Goodness me. I mean, Should we go through them by like, order? Yeah. And how has Trent not been given that free kick. It's been given that as an own goal on Leno. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. We keep talking about Trent and his technique, but he's just, he's, he's in a great vein of form at this moment in time. The goal, the purchase to get it up and down and whip and bend. He's, he's one of the best technicians I've ever seen in the Premier League. Wow, what, what a player he is. 
He's a wonderful footballer. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been a fan of his for, for many years. Everyone knows that. And I've, I was, in fact, from the first few times I saw him, I used to think, God, he's got to be a midfield player. I mean, I think he was a midfield player as a youngster. And it was one of those situations where they see a talent um, and they think, we'll get him in the team, but you can't get him in his position. He ends up going to right back and he was, he was so good for so long that um, he, he became a right back. And, you know, it, it irritates me a little bit when people say, yeah, but he's not very good at defend, you know. And, and every slight error, any goal that goes in on that side of the pitch uh, against Liverpool, he, you know, that people have a, a pop at him. But I think the, the positives of his forward play is passing. I think he's the, you know, certainly the best passer of the ball in the English game um, at the moment. Um, and in probably much bigger area than that, maybe even Europe. Or um, is, I mean, his range of passing outside the foot, inside the foot, long passes, short passes. He's crossing, of course, but I'm, I'm loving him in this new role where he drifts into midfield. Obviously, Gareth Southgate's tried him uh, in midfield as well. And I think that, you know, that could work for England. You know, the position alongside Rice, because Gareth does like to play two back there. You could play Bellingham in front of them. Um, and... You know, I know Gas a little bit more. He prefers the more defensive midfield players in those spots. But that passing range of his, whoa, it could be hugely beneficial at some point to England. Agreed. And I've got to give you credit because you mentioned this. It must have been two years ago now with Trent. He should be playing longer, in midfield. Longer. Well, it might even be longer. I did a tweet about five or six years ago. And um, I think I'll be proved wrong, but... Saying, I said, um, this young man, will, I think when he first broke into the England team way back, I think I said something like, um, this young man will get 100 caps for England in midfield. It's sort of happening a little bit late. I don't think I'm going to be right, um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but you never know because um, his, his talent is uh, it's beautiful. What a player to watch. Second to none. There's, we've had so, so many good right backs. Kyle Walker... Uh, Reese James over the years, but Trent and his ability for going forward. I've I've not seen anything like that in the Premier League from a right back in terms of just like you said, the passing, the, the timing of his arriving in areas though as well. It's not just he's got a good right foot. It's the spaces and the positions he picks up on the pitch. He's so intelligent to be able to make them crosses or or score them goals. He's just truly wonderful talent, really. Two massively important goals he scored. Um, in in the, I know he's not been given the first one, that which, you know, by, we could argue about that, but the, he scored the winner again today, late on. Terrific strike. Um, very similar to the goal probably against Manchester City, which was, was, was also important. But, Probably goal of the day was was McAllister. Oh Ooh. my god! <laughs> yeah. Wow, you know what? Because it was bouncing, and you're thinking, you as a striker, you know when to hit it to get the best possible chance of hitting the target, and he just waited and just waited, waiting for the right connection, and then hit it with some venom what a goal that was wow McAllister and that's what we want to see in McAllister we've been, we've been yearning for that I know he's been playing a little bit deeper I wanted to see the McAllister Brighton where he's getting on the half turn making a cute little passes and scoring them goals but that today certainly was an unbelievable strike what a goal that was mm. 
And the, the third one wasn't bad either. Endo! <laughs> he, he just come on the pitch, hadn't he? He just come on the pitch, Endo. And he's known for his d- defensive capabilities, but to come on and score a goal and just whip it. There was some brilliant goals down. You have down to feel a bit for Fulham, though. Three to up with just a few minutes to go. And It was weird because... We was in the in the studio and uh, Jamie Carragher's going down to do co-coms. And when he left, it was 3-2 to Fulham. Oh, and by the bit, time he, he down, got down... Was he down in the dump? So he was, spit, he was spitting feathers. <laughs> he was spitting feathers. As soon as he got down, it was like, don't worry, Jamie, Liverpool are winning now. And his whole aura was just like, oh, oh, that's good. It was amazing, honestly. Go back to yesterday. Huge win for Burnley. Comfortable victory, finally, for your man, Vincent. Um, I interviewed him after the game. He was clearly in good spirits. Although, I must admit, I admire the way that he's, he's, you know, he's kept his chin up right throughout the season. He kept saying, yep, no, we're adapting. We're learning. We're getting better. The results will come. Um, I know Sheffield United were poor yesterday, really poor. Um, but, but that's a massive confidence booster for them, isn't it? Gives them some kind of hope. I like the question you asked him about dealing with being at the top in the championship and then how you deal with being sort of at the bottom in in the Premier League. Well, it it was more the question of, as a player, he was always, you know, challenging for titles, this, that and the other. He's not used to, even with Burnley last season when he started there, he's always at the top. And how is it dealing with life at the bottom? And he was good on it, wasn't he? He was honest. He, he was excellent. And that's why I want him to do so well, not just because he's an ex-teammate, it's just because he's so measured within his answers. And he always used to say to me, block all the, the, the nonsense out. People are going to give you credit. He said, just don't be too high when people give you credit. He used to say, because when he first come to, um, to Man City and I was like the not the big stat, but the big hope. And he always used to say to me, keep your feet on the ground because the soon as you start believing that You totally that ignored hype, him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, behave yourself, Vinny. <laughs> he said, as soon as you start believing your own hype or getting above your station, that's when things become very difficult. You're going to go through a time where things are not going to go as well as you think. And it's just having that measured approach all along. And he's taken that as a player and he's taken it on to his Burnley team. He said, we're going to stick to the same characteristic that we, we know. He mentioned about having new players and letting them settle in. But... I think what we was talking about, me, you, yourself and Alan, is they were still making the same mistakes. There's nothing wrong with trying to play a certain way, but at some point you have to tweak certain bits and pieces. And Burnley, what we've seen this season, have been pretty naive on some of them things, but it was nice to see them, you know, all their hard work and all their combinations come together because that's what Burnley are. They're going to concede a lot, but they should be scoring a lot more goals too. Yeah, absolutely agree. Your next door neighbour had a rough day, didn't he? <laughs> Ollie McBurney, two miles down the road next door. Oh, two yeah, yellow cards, he's... a red card, second time this season. Have you? Uh, is it your influence on him or...? <laughs> I can assure you, Chef United fans, I have no influence on what <laughs> what happened with uh, McBurney, but he probably should have been off for the first one, shouldn't he? 
I mean, the second one was yes, was the, crystal clear. Yeah, the first one he got, he got a little but bit lucky. He got a little bit lucky, but I was um, I was gutted for him again because he's like we said before, he's the neighbour. But yeah, it was a uh, it was the right decision in the end. But I can assure you, it had nothing to do with Big Meeks. Nothing at all. <laughs> We're in December now. We've still not had a manager lose his job. Oof. I think at this stage last season, about half of them had lost the job almost. I think there was something like 14 or 15 managers lost their job at, at some stage last season. Um, why do you think it is that there's been a bit more patience? Is it perhaps that the, there's not a great alternatives around? I don't know. Yes, I, I think it is that. Not many great... Well, there is always alternatives, but like you said, not many great alternatives. And it's not only the fact of... so. A, a team that's lost, what was it, seven at home that like Burnley did, I, I believe. Um, you're thinking, we need to sort this out here. We need to give the new managers some time. But what a lot of people don't understand is when you're changing a manager, you have to then change everything that's going on within the club. And if players are used to doing something one way, to then completely change that to be a, a pragmatic team it's going to take probably more time. So I would think clubs are now thinking, no, actually, let's stay. It was the same with Areola at, at, at Bournemouth. People were saying, mm, I can't really see what's going on here. But if you give the managers time, it gives them more of a chance, I would say. I said at the end of um, last season that it, it seemed to me, particularly, well, it's obvious that's where most managers will lose the job if they're in the bottom half of the table. But pretty much every, you know, Every club that sacked the manager didn't really do much better. Um, if, and the teams that actually were stuck by theirs, and one was obviously Gary Neal at Bournemouth and Sean Dyche at Everton after a while, but they did change managers. But though I think the teams that stayed up were ones that actually stuck with them, whereas Leicester, Brendan Rodgers, I, I, think, I think Brendan had done enough at the club to at least deserve the right to try and keep them up. Um, and then um, the other two were relegated as well. Both changed their managers. And I think perhaps perhaps the owners were looking at that and thinking, well, maybe we can learn a lesson that. And it's the, there's always that thing. And, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. You think you're going to get somebody a little bit better, um, but you've got to change the way you play. You've got to, you know, reintroduce someone. And sometimes there's a little bounce. But I think statistically, if you look at it, that's a little bit of a myth. Um, doesn't necessarily happen overall. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously you're not going to go through the whole season without anyone losing their job. I think that that would be remarkable. But um, I think it's quite good. I think it's a, a, a positive that, I mean, take Fulham. Marco Silva um, obviously did a great job last season. But I remember actually on um, when he lost his job at Watford and Watford at that time were firing them left, right and centre. And, you know, he came in, they had the first bad spell and he was out. And I, I said, I think it's a ridiculous decision. Uh, I think he's a really good manager. He's got something. And I got hammered on, on Twitter by the, the Watford fans saying, no, no, we don't. he said this, that and the other. But may I say to you, Watford fan, well, have a little look now. He's, he's, I mean, they, they lost in the last minute today. But And I've probably the kiss of death now I've said that to him for the rest of the season. But... Uh, <laughs> But that's Twitter for you. You, you know what I think, though? I think what's helped as well other teams or sort of management and owners making that decision is Everton being docked 10 points, you know? So if the, the, the other clubs would have lost a few games and Everton being 
docked a few points, but I, I just believe because that happened, it's give the other teams more of a chance. If Everton weren't docked them 10 points, it, it would have been a bigger gap that they would have had to climb as of well. Of course, of course it would. Um, big win for Everton though uh, yesterday. I want to give a little shout out to my my team, um, Leicester. Great win yesterday away at West Bromwich Albion. I know, you know, Al mentions his team every week. You're always mentioning Manchester City, you know, little old Leicester in the in the championship. And um, yes, I think West Brom equalised in like the 88th, 89th minute or something. And I thought, ah, that that you know, that would have been another draw. They did then the week and they'd lost a couple. And then Harry Wink scored in the 95th minute winner. It was beautiful and they were celebrating. And it's been a good weekend for my former clubs because Spurs got that great point. Everton won. As we do in this, actually, Barcelona won up against Atletico Madrid. Um, I don't know whether that's still the case. And while we talked about Barcelona, I saw something quite amusing um, this week where someone had found the requests for the players. I don't know whether you saw this, for their post-match meal. In, in the restaurant that they were going. I mean, I don't know about your post-match diet in, at football, but this is quite funny. Um, it's going back a few years. Um, Terstegen, sushi and Nutella sandwich. <laughs> PK and Nutella sandwich and fruit. Uh, Rakitic, sushi, two helpings and fruit, a bit healthier. <laughs> Busquets, a ham pizza and fruit. Only pineapple and strawberry. Chavi. <laughs> Chopped chicken breast and ham pizza. Iniesta, ham and cheese pizza and a sandwich of Bologna and chorizo. Uh, Suarez, ham and cheese pizza and Caesar salad. <laughs> Messi, a cheese pizza, keeps it simple. Neymar, ham and cheese pizza and fruit. Uh, Mascarano, pasta salad and two pieces of fruit. And this is my favourite, Sergi Roberto, sushi and triple sandwich with Nutella. <laughs> with these players and Nutella Nutella I mean I, I quite like Nutella I mean it's, it's quite tasty I like a bit of chocolate but um, I thought that was quite amusing I've not had uh, Nutella for about 10 years have you not no I'm not a chocolate man I'm more of a meat meat eater yeah crisps I'm, I'm more of a crisp man <laughs> Chris Walkers might, might have mentioned yeah exactly <laughs> right um, moments of the week um, you, you've been busy but um, FA Cup second round action um, we've seen um, Bivesh Gurung scored a brilliant winner for National League South side Maidstone United uh, as they beat League 2 High Flyers Barrow 2-1 um, and Maidstone folded actually in 1992 after long-standing financial issues and uh, it will be their first time in the FA Cup third round since then uh, and looking forward to seeing them at home against Stevenage or Port Vale in the third round well they'll have a slight chance of getting through um, to the fourth round some good draws I don't know whether you know they want a couple of biggies I see was very draws. excited about Sunderland and Newcastle <laughs> and, then, and then you've got Arsenal-Liverpool as well which one do you want, Gary? Well, um, I, Arsenal's a lot closer to home. Um, <laughs> but I think Alan was straight on to the powers that be at the BBC because we get first pick. And I think then ITV get second and third and we get fourth pick. So um, I think Alan was straight on the phone. Right, we've got to do that. We're bored of Arsenal. It's always Arsenal-Liverpool, but this is the big one. So I, I, I don't know what the decision is. Um, they'll probably make it in the morning, I, w I would imagine. Um, and also the um, picks for the European Championship will be made, I think, um, tomorrow 
as well. So um, that's that's quite interesting how it works because um, to make it fair, because obviously we have a 50-50 split with ITV and the only game we both show is the final. But before that, one channel gets first pick and then you take alternate picks right the way through to the end. So for example, ITV have got first pick this time. It's kind of alternates between tournaments. I, I don't know what they'll go, but I suspect they'll probably go first choice of a semi-final or first choice of a quarter-final. And they'll be hoping that England go through that far. Um, I think we'll probably pick the one that isn't either of those. I don't know. I've not had this conversation with anyone. And then it goes right through. So it's, you know, first quarter-final, second semi-final, third quarter-final. Um, then you go to the group games where obviously... Um, both channels will want England and Scotland games. And so it goes right the way through and then they come up with this. It's quite an amicable process, but um, yeah. So we'll see what games we get in the Euros and we'll also find out which FA Cup ties we're at. Which one do you want, Micah? Oh, two, two, two. two. <laughs> well, it's closer to you, isn't it? We've got to take the two. Sunderland yeah. two. We've got to take them, haven't we? It's a biggie. It'd be I've, nice. It'd be nice. Yeah, Early I've, never, doors. I've never been to a Sunderland um, Newcastle game. I don't think. Ooh, neither have I actually. Well, I'm talking like I'm definitely getting the call up, but we've we've got time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your first team in our Micah. Your first team. And right you'll be on ITV anyway, so <laughs> uh, I've got a chance. Okay. As long as we've got a chance. You've got a great chance. Um well, you've worked hard today. You deserve a rest. Uh, Thank you, sir. But we will be back later in the week answering your questions. Don't forget that if you want to get a question into us, uh, you can do so on social media uh, just to the at rest is football or you can email us at the rest is football at gmail.com um, thanks for all your questions and thanks for your continued support of the podcast uh, we thoroughly appreciate it we'll see you soon goodbye from me and goodbye from me I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration.
In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts.